Good afternoon, everyone. Today, for short devotions, I'll be started by readings from Romans chapter 5. You can turn there if you'd like. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand, and rejoice, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The verse I want to look at in this few uh, verses here is verse 3. And not only so, but we were glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. How often do we glory in tribulation when someone cuts us off in traffic or something just not going right on work and just doesn't seem to be going your way that day? How often do we just want to get upset at things and kind of fuss around and Patience isn't one of the things that comes to me when I'm having a bad day, but it's something I need to work on. Uh, another verse is, verse I want to look at is James chapter 1. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this is the trying of your faith work is patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Here again we see that the trying of our faith work is patience, and it's a challenge that's for me to um, have patience when things aren't going right, and it's a challenge I want to leave with all y'all to have a good outlook on things when things aren't going right. And I have a little story that goes with, along with that. The wind, rushed, the wind rushed through Joey's sandy blonde hair as the 11-year-old boy made its way through the familiar neighborhood, streets from school to his house. Just a couple of blocks from home, Joey found a cocoon of a butterfly. He stared at it for several minutes and made note of where it was, where it was, so he could keep an eye on, on the next uh, during the next few days. The following the following week, he noticed a small opening in the cocoon. Joey lost complete track of time as he sat and watched the insect inside struggle to force its body through the tiny hole. As the sun began to set, he hurried home but couldn't stop thinking about the cocoon. The next day after school, Joey noticed the insect. Insect appeared to be stuck in the hole. It appeared as though it had gotten as far as it could and helplessly, helplessly remained still, mostly inside the cocoon. The next morning, he took a pair of scissors and put them in his backpack. On the way to school, he stopped again to look at the cocoon. Feeling sorry for the insect, he decided to help it enter the outside world. He carefully snipped off the remaining bit of cocoon. Joey smiled as he watched the butterfly emerge smoothly from the hole. He was surprised, though, to notice that the butterfly's swollen body and small shriveled wings. Joey continued to watch the butterfly because in his childlike innocence, he expected at any moment its wings would enlarge and expand to be able to support the body, which would contract in time. Neither happened. In fact, the butterfly spent the rest of its life crawling around with its swollen body and shriveled wings. It was never able to fly. What Joey didn't understand was that the restricting cocoon and the struggle required for the butterfly to get through the tiny opening were God's way of forcing fluid from the body of the insect into its wings so that it would be ready for flight once it achieved its freedom from the cocoon. Sometimes struggles are exactly what we need in our, in our lives. Though none of us enjoy them, God often uses them for good. He strengthens us, strengthen us through the dark hours. He increases our faith when we call on him 
for help through the pain. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this nice day given to us. Thank you for the opportunity to come and meet here together and worship you and just be with Josh as he brings us the messages today and just help us to have a good time of fellowship the rest of the afternoon. Praise in your name. Amen. Well, here we are again, dear young people. It's a beautiful afternoon to be inside, isn't it? And we're here to worship the Lord together. We're here to see what His Word has for us as far as direction for living the Christian life. I'm a fair bit older than you are, and yet I still need an awful lot of direction in life. And I remember back when I was your age, very young in the faith, trying to develop my perspective of, of the Christian faith and learning about who God was and wanted, wanted, wondering what he wanted me to do in my life and wondering what his will was for me. And it's a lot happening in those days. There's a lot of big decisions to make. It's a precious time of life. When habits are being developed, friendships are being made. Things are happening in those years that impact us greatly as we then move on through life. And so I just want to challenge you to make the most of these precious years that you are in. Now it's true that we only live once. That should not be a license for us to just live it up with selfish indulgence, doing all the things that we've always dreamed about. But instead, the fact that we only live once should cause us to think carefully, to live prayerfully, and to live each moment to the glory of God. I invite you to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Once again, the theme for this weekend is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And the subject for today is loyal to the captain. I appreciate, brother, the songs that you led this afternoon already. The first being a song that, that helps us to get a better picture of this great God that we're serving. Eternal Father, when to thee... Beyond all worlds by faith I soar. Before thy boundless majesty I stand in silence. And I just adore. <laughs> a song of worship. A song of gaining a proper perspective. And then we moved on to, my Jesus, I love you. I love you. Why? Not because of me, but I love you because of what you did for me. It's a great springboard to the message this afternoon of then giving our hearts in full surrender and loyalty to Jesus Christ. But here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, let us just note verses 1 through 4. 
Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? Because he wants to please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. This afternoon, some themes that will come up will be loyalty to Jesus Christ, being willing to sacrifice, being willing to say no to the flesh. Why? Because we want to please God. Because we just want to please God. Out of, our, out of our love and adoration for Jesus Christ, Lord, I'm willing to do this because you mean so much to me, because you're so worthy of this. Themes of loyalty, themes of sacrifice, themes of service, surrender. Ultimately, this message this afternoon is about Surrender. I would like for you to listen to this quote written by A.W. Tozer. Now, you youngsters may not know who A.W. Tozer is or was, and frankly, uh, I'm not that sure myself. It goes back even further. But A.W. Tozer was a, a great preacher years gone by and wrote a number of very deep, meaningful, devotional-style books. Listen to what he has to say about this battle that we're in. In the early days, when Christianity exercised a dominant influence over American thinking, men conceived the world to be a battleground. Our fathers believed in sin and the devil and hell as constituting one force, and they believed in God and righteousness in heaven as the other. These were opposed to each other in the nature of them forever, in deep, grave, irreconcilable hostility. Man, so our fathers held, had to choose sides. He could not be neutral. For him, it was life or death, heaven or hell. And if he chose to come out on God's side, he could expect open war with the enemies. The fight would be real and deadly and would last as long as life continued here below. Men looked forward to heaven as a return from the wars, a laying down of the sword to enjoy in peace the home prepared for them. And then he says, how different today. The fact remains the same, but the interpretation has changed completely. Men think of the world not as a battleground, but as a playground. We are not here to fight. We are here to frolic. We are not in a foreign land. We are just at home. I want you to ponder that as we move into this message this afternoon. And I ask you, what about you? Where is your allegiance this afternoon?
Who or what is calling the shots in your life? To whom or to what are you loyal? You see, loyalty is expressed by imitation. We could say that we mimic what we worship. We give ourselves to what we consider to be important. And then our priorities in life are made obvious by the way that we dress, the things that we say, where we go, what we listen to. Those are expressions of our loyalty, what's important to us. And so it's not difficult to tell who and what drives the world. It's not difficult to tell who they worship. It's not difficult to tell who they are loyal to because it's splashed across their clothes, their music, their speech, their recreation betrays them. I just wonder, what's obvious about you? You see, your life is preaching a message. Your life is speaking. People are making assessments by looking at you. Who or what is controlling your life? And so the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Young people, it's going to have to start with a change of mind. Don't expect to be able to discern what God's will is for you in the details of your life when your heart and your mind is flirting with the things of this world. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove, that ye may know what God's will is for your life in the finer details. And so, at the heart of worship is sacrifice. You will sacrifice for what you consider important. In fact, you are. You are sacrificing today for what is important to you. And so if you're preparing for a big hunt this fall, you're sacrificing even now. You're making sacrifices. If a great summer tan is important to you, you're sacrificing right now for it <laughs> in various ways. You're sacrificing time. You're sacrificing comfort. <laughs> You're sacrificing in different ways. You see, we will sacrifice for what is important to us. Let me just say that a good soldier of Jesus Christ is marked by unswerving allegiance to his captain. 
And sadly, that is not always clear in the lives of many Christians. There is confusion over who is calling the shots. Sometimes outwardly, there is the look of the soldier. But inwardly, there are the attitudes of a rebel. And let me just say, the church is under fierce attack and is struggling today, not only due to severe pressure from the outside, but also due to too many half-hearted soldiers on the inside. God help us. Found it interesting. The great evangelist D.L. Moody didn't want his soloist, Ira Sankey, to use the song, Onward Christian Soldiers. Why? Because he felt that the church that he saw was very unlike an army. And this is what he said. If the average military man on our side in World War II had behaved toward his captains and their orders the way the average Christian behaves toward the Lord, we probably would have lost the war. So someone has suggested perhaps humorously, that we really ought to sing backwards, Christian soldiers. <laughs> really not that funny. And I say, shame on us. For the Christian wholehearted devotion to Jesus Christ that is expressed in daily surrender to him is the only acceptable response to the indescribable love and mercy that God has poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. What more can we do than to give our lives in full surrender to him? He deserves it all and so much more. And yet so often, and I confess, so often we go about our Christian life with a bit of a ho-hum or carefree attitude. We don't in other areas of life, though. No, we don't want to look stupid. I mean, really? What would they think of me if I played ball like that? What would they think of me if I got a vehicle like that? No way. I'm going to... But Christian life? Whatever. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We sing it. We sing it. I would like this afternoon for us to note four marks of loyalty. When I say marks, I'm talking about distinguishing traits, characteristics of loyalty, and they are surrender, sacrifice, self-denial, and service. Someone has said that we lack something in church life more than loving. We lack dying. In other words, we lack wholehearted surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the foundation of surrender is dying to self and choosing absolute loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ that lives in me. That's absolute loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The big I is no longer on the throne. The big I has been crucified and in fact is being crucified daily as the Apostle Paul goes on to say, I die daily and I must die daily too. You must die daily too in order to experience continual, consistent victory in our Christian life. It's a a daily step of faith, not just a step of faith, it's a daily step of, of purposeful action. It's a fight. And I say... This dying to self is not only the foundation of wholehearted surrender, but it is also where effective fighting that results in consistent victory begins. You can never expect to experience consistent victory in your life when you have not surrendered everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your Christian life will be a roller coaster ride at best when Jesus Christ is not on the throne of your life. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, we want to start by reading verse 23. But leading up to this, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and this is just several days before the cross. He just came through the city in what we refer to as the triumphal entry. And so, what was on the minds of the people and the disciples? Well, it was the feelings of pomp and victory and deliverance and celebration because they were thinking that Jesus was coming to to set up an earthly kingdom. Jesus was coming to to bring salvation in an earthly kind of way, a physical kind of way. And they were, yes, deliverance, here we go. And so that was was what was flowing through the, through the, the minds and the hearts and so forth of the people that afternoon as Jesus went through the, the streets of Jerusalem. But I find it interesting that right on the heels of that, Jesus talks about what? He talks about brokenness. He talks about surrender. And we say, well, why? I mean... What does that have to do with anything? It has everything to do with it. Because you will never experience true victory. You will never experience true freedom. You will never experience true deliverance in life if you have never fully surrendered. If you have never truly been spiritually broken to the point where you're saying, I'm done with myself and I want Jesus Christ to completely control me. You can never experience the joy and the peace and the exuberation that is there intended for us. John chapter 12, verse 23. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it. And he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. 
Now, there's many nuggets in these few verses, but we just like to break it down this way quickly. And that is we'll note the illustration, we'll note the challenge, and we'll note the example. The illustration is about a seed. The challenge is for us. The example, well, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in verse 24, we have this illustration of a seed. A seed has no real value unless it dies. Oh, yes, there's life inside. There's energy inside that little seed. But that energy, that life, cannot be fully released until the hard outer shell is cracked, is broken, is opened up. That is the beginning of life coming from within, coming out, and beautifying the world of that seed. Or you could say, of that field or that garden. 25 and 26 is the challenge for us. And I simply ask you, you have a choice to make in life. Will you choose to be comfortable or will you choose to be conformable? Will you choose to be comfortable or will you choose to be conformable? You see, once again, in order for there to be life, in order for there to be fruitfulness, in order for that that seed to make a difference in its world, it has to be cracked. It has to be crushed. It has to be broken open. Not the most comfortable thing, perhaps. And as we think about it in our lives, this process of surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ is a process that our flesh, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. It's going to hurt. I'm afraid of what it might cost me. We shy away from. Our flesh does not want to have anything to do with it. But I tell you, along with com- com- being comfortable comes a lonely life. Comes an overly protective life. In other words, once again, I is on the throne. I is calling the shots. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to protect myself. I don't want to get hurt. I don't like pain. I am calling the shots. You get it? And I'm going to be comfortable. I want to do what I want to do. Lonely, selfish, protective. Ultimately, death. Death is, describes the package of the one who lives for self. Of the seed who does not open up to the crushing that is so absolutely foundational to then beauty. But then we have the choice of being conformable. When I say conformable, I mean going along with God wants for us. Conforming to the image, to the will of Jesus Christ. Following his example. And we see that in verse 26, perhaps. And along with that package comes being never alone. You're never alone. Jesus is with you. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. Along with being conformable to God's will for your life is the joy of fruitfulness. Along with conforming to God's will for your life 
is the favor of the Father. There is life there. Once again, the soldier, first and foremost, wants to please his captain, right? By conforming to God's will for you, you will ensure that the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified. You have the favor of the Father on your life. Now let's note the example of Jesus. And here in verses 27 and 28, it's one of those places, in the, at least in the King James Version, where the way it is lined out, the punctuation or the lack of it, sort of obscures the meaning behind it. And there's sometimes in your Bible study, it's very effective and very uh, enlightening to look into other translations, other versions that help open up the scriptures to you. And I encourage you to do that in your studies. But here, let me just read it this way. Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. And certainly we cannot imagine the amount of trouble or the amount of, of weight that he was feeling as he was looking just ahead to the cross. But he says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? Is that what I should say? No, but it's for this hour that I came. How could I possibly say, God, save me from this? My whole mission in life was for this moment. I came to do the will of the Father. I came on a mission to bring salvation, to restore the relationship. How could I possibly turn away from it? No, I won't say, Father, save me, but I will say, Father, glorify your name. I will surrender my will to the Father. I will follow through with, with what God has called me to do. Isn't that beautiful? And I mean, Jesus had a choice. He could have swerved the cross. The scripture says that he could have called 10,000 angels and said, get me out of here. He could have, but he didn't. Why? Because he knew what was on the other side of the cross. He knew what that would mean, not only for him, but for us. The scripture says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy that was set before him. He knew that by fulfilling the will of the Father, it would bring the Father so much joy, and it would bring him so much joy. How could he possibly swerve that? And he knew what following through would mean for you, and would mean for me, and would mean for all mankind forever. <laughs> was it comfortable? His focus was on what would be gained, not what would be lost. And that challenges me. Because in the heat of the moment, when I'm faced with something that I don't want to do, when the scripture brings something up to me that says, Josh, you need to be doing this. When something is brought to my heart, to my attention, that makes me know inside that I need to change, I immediately like to think, well, my flesh does at least. What am I going to have to give up? Is this going to hurt or not? <laughs> Jesus focused on what would be gained, not what would be lost. And God help us in that. But I want us to note the important spiritual truth here. Jesus was using an ob object lesson uh, to teach us something very important. You know, a believer in many ways is just like a seed. When we give our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and, and dwells within us. There's life there. There's energy there. But unless 
that hard outer shell of our flesh, our stubborn flesh, unless it is broken, that life cannot freely flow out and impact our world and relationships with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, there's life there. But there must be brokenness. And Jesus is calling each one of us today to that place of full surrender and brokenness before Him. It is only when we have bowed in full surrender, allowing Jesus Christ to be the captain of our lives, that we will then find the power to live more like we pray. Mm -hmm. That surrender. Let's think about sacrifice. Once again, at the heart of worship, at the heart of loyalty, is the act of sacrifice. You willingly sacrifice for what is important to you. The story is told of a young soldier who came home from battle missing an arm. And his neighbors and friends felt so sorry for him. And they rallied around him and they sympathized. And Oh, Bill, we're, we are so sorry. We, are so, we feel so bad. We're so sorry that you lost your arm. And Bill fired back. I did not lose my arm. I gave it for my country. Dear young people, if a young man can give his arm for this country, can't we as soldiers of Jesus Christ who are fighting the good fight of faith say that we are truly not losing anything when we sacrifice our lives and our desires to the Lord Jesus Christ? We are not losing anything. In fact, a faith that costs nothing is worth nothing. I want us to think for a moment about the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Turn to Luke chapter 9. But as you turn there in Luke chapter 14, Jesus makes it clear that sacrifice is a test of discipleship. In fact, in Luke 14, he mentions, well, it doesn't mention, he says, Three times. You cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. What? Well, if family is on the throne, if you're not willing to forsake all, if you're not willing to bear your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I say sacrifice is a test of discipleship. But here in Luke chapter 9, we have some very similar thrusts. Starting at verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. We're in Luke chapter 9. 
Verse 59. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. What will you sacrifice out of loving allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ? What will you sacrifice? And I want us to consider these three people and what was more important to them than the call of Christ. And you might have noticed, but I will point this out, that man number two and man number three both said, Lord, me first. Lord, me first. That is absolutely impossible. What an oxymoron that is. If Jesus Christ is Lord, it's a given that he's first. If he's not first, he ain't Lord, okay? And so I want you to ponder this. If Jesus is Lord at all, he is Lord of all. If Jesus is Lord at all, he is Lord of all. But here... We have these three different people, and there are three excuses. And the first is, I'll call a passion for comfort. A passion for comfort, for living the comfortable life, the clothes, the money, the vehicles, the hobbies, the sports equipment. The phones, the iPads, the whatever, the trips to the mall, whatever you call it, whatever works for you, a passion for comfort. And Jesus said, you know what? If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to part ways with stuff like that, buddy. You're going to have to part ways. And after he makes that response, it appears like that man sort of went on his way. That was just a little too much to ask for. Cost was a bit too great. We move on to the next one in verses 59 and 60, and we have what I call the precedence of a job. The precedence of job or occupation. Jesus said, follow me. And he said, Lord, me first. Suffer me first to go and bury my father. And I find it so interesting, Jesus' response, let the dead bury their dead. But you, you go and preach the gospel. You see, there are things in this life that anyone can do. 
There are things in this life that the sinners can do. Okay? Anyone can. He's saying, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. Let them do it. But you, you are different. You have a special calling on your life. You're not just anybody. You're a child of God. You invest your life in those jobs, in those things that make a difference for eternity. You do that. You let the other things to the other people. Don't waste your life doing what everyone else does. Let them do it. But you are different. You see? And I say, if your job, if your occupation is keeping you from being faithful to your calling as a disciple of Christ, it's the wrong job. I'm sorry, but it's the wrong job. If that is keeping you from doing what God wants you to do, get another job. Get on your knees and ask God about it. But God has a special calling for the believer that is unique. And we ought not to waste our lives in doing the other things. It's about perspective. It's about priority. It's about who is running your life. Who is your captain? Who is calling the shots? And when Jesus Christ is on the throne of your life, your life will be different. That's fine. Don't ever be ashamed of it. That is a privilege and a blessing and an honor to be different for the sake of Jesus Christ. There was a theme in Paul's life, and that was, I am not ashamed. Too many people today are ashamed of the relationship with Jesus Christ because they are not confident of it, because they are not certain of it. Once you are certain and confident of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you will not be ashamed because there will be within you life and peace and joy that you'll wonder, why didn't I pursue that earlier in life? What have I been holding off for? Verses 61 and 62, I call this the priority of family. We have another taker. At least it sounds like it. Lord, I'll follow you. I'm with you, Lord. But let me first go tell Dad and Mom I'm out of here. Let me go tell them goodbye. Let me first. But after that... I'll follow you. You know, family ties run pretty deep. I love my family. Family times are great. Get-togethers are great. Those backyard grills are fun, you know. Whatever it might be, hiking, camping, vacations, going to the cabin, fishing, hunting, Time of the family. It's priceless, we say sometimes. Well, maybe that's not the term for this afternoon, huh? But we love them, okay? Family ties run deep. But Jesus said, you know what? If family comes before me, then you need to sever some ties. You need to let go. And as I picture... This right here, as I picture this little scene in verses 61 and 62, I can picture this mother standing on the porch and saying, Son, if you go on the mission field, you will break your mother's heart. 
okay, mom, stop crying. I'll just stay home and work at the mini barn business. Okay, no, I'm not trying to scold you. I'm just, I'm just saying something that's normal. Okay, but you see what I'm saying. We have too many dads and moms, too many brothers and sisters that have that attitude. Oh, please don't go. What can we ever do without you? Just stay home. We need you at home. We need you at home. The church will fall apart with that. Come on. You know, if there's anything in your life that consumes you more than your relationship with Jesus Christ, then let me just say that Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life. If Jesus is Lord at all, he is Lord of all. Let me just suggest that these three excuses that I just mentioned, a passion for comfort, the precedence of job, and the priority of family, these three excuses are still today the main underlying reasons for the lack of servants in the work of the church and the missionary field. There's a great lack of school teachers. There's a great lack of people to go serve in other churches that are begging for help, been begging for years. There's a lack of, of missionaries on the mission field. Why is this? Let me just say these three excuses are still the main underlying factors today. We like our comfort. We like our jobs. We like our families. Not me, Lord. Let's move on to self-denial. You want to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Uh-huh. Say, yeah. You want to experience consistent victory in your life? Yes. Yeah. We all say, yeah, that sounds good. We want to be a good soldier. Want to experience victory? Yes, yes. Then I say, learn to say no. Learn to say no to your flesh. Learn to say no to self. Practice a life of self-denial. Someone has said this, to subordinate the lower nature to the higher, to be able to forego a present pleasure for a greater good is a distinguishing mark of the highest type of character. Self-denial is essential to manhood. For to make one's life count demands sacrifice. For to make one's life count demands sacrifice. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. And we'll just note verses 24 through 26. I'll just mention the context here. Jesus had just told his disciples that while well, he is on his way to Jerusalem, he gave them a little sneak peek into what's about to happen, that he's going to be, going to be tortured and he's going to suffer and going to be killed and he's going to rise from the dead. And Peter takes him aside and says, come on, Jesus. Don't you remember who you are? I mean... You're Jesus. You're God. 
This should never happen to you. And what did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And I think in that moment, Jesus was looking right through Peter and seeing the work of Satan, seeing the temptation coming on Satan. In other words, Satan was working through Peter and trying to to discourage him from the mission at hand. Once again, Jesus came on a mission to do the will of the Father. He was committed to that. That doesn't mean he wasn't tempted. That doesn't mean his flesh didn't sometimes tremble. And Peter was in the middle of that conflict. And I don't think that Jesus was as much rebuking Peter as he was Satan. But he said, Peter, you've got your mind in the wrong place. Your mind is on earthly things. You need a heavenly perspective. You need to be thinking about the eternal. And then Jesus says in verse 24, If any man will come after me, or once again, like Quentin brought out in their devotional last evening, if he by his own choice chooses to come after me, it's a voluntary choice. If any man wills to come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world And lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And then verse 13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify or crucify, or put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Life is promised to those who practice a life of self-denial. Those who choose the eternal over the earthly. Let me just say that people who are serious about being a champion for Christ know what it means to make saying no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit a way of life. Those are the ones who are champions for Christ. Those are the ones who experience consistent victory. Those are the ones who know what it means to have that deep, unspeakable peace and joy within them but they've learned to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit, and they're living that way. That is their way of life. It is not just the every once in a while. Listen, are you struggling to have consistent victory in your spiritual life? Are you feeling sometimes like you're just stuck in Romans chapter 7 where, man, You want to do what's right, but when you want to do what's right, then you do what's wrong. And, and, 
oh man, every time you want to do, oh man, you're just in that roller coaster ride where you just, it's just miserable and, and up and down and up and down. And you have good days and bad days and victory and, and defeats. And, oh, and you just come out at the end of Romans chapter 7 where you're saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And, and you know that the answer is in Jesus Christ. You know that's what the Bible says. But like it doesn't make sense. You can't claim it. And, and it's a struggle, struggle, struggle. Do you sometimes then look at Romans chapter 8 and say, oh man, I, I just wish, I wonder what it feels like to live in that reality. There's therefore no condemnation to those who are in. How would it feel to feel completely uncondemned, to feel completely free, to live my life with peace, with joy, with a new perspective, and, and like I'm not struggling and fighting and <laughs> Want me to tell you how to get there? I say, through the power of Jesus Christ, learn to say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. Develop a God consciousness. And what I mean by that is develop an understanding of God being with you each moment of your life. You are living each moment to the glory of God. Live in that. Walk that way. Develop a sensitive ear to the voice of the Spirit. Just like the old Negro spiritual says, when I feel the Spirit, then I will pray. Every time I feel the Spirit, I will pray. That's being sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That nudging. Something's uncomfortable. Lord, what is it? What a... Thank you, Lord. I don't want to do that. Go that way. Being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Instead of saying, what? I didn't do it. What? You know, that produces a life that is miserable. There's no joy in that. It's a life of conflict. I say practice a life of self-denial. Is there something in your life that is robbing you of consistent victory? Is there? Then get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Is the newspaper tripping you up? Get rid of it. Stop looking at the newspaper. Is the, is the news on your phone getting to be a, a problem with you? Is it causing you to have wrong thoughts? Is it stealing your time? Stop it. <laughs> get rid of it. What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up to maintain an open, clear relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to you? Too many Christians today try to grow without completely getting rid of the flesh. And dear people, there are many things in this world that in and of themselves are not wrong. We could say the thing in itself is amoral or the thing in and of itself is neutral. But let me make it very clear, if it is coming between you and God, if it is stealing your time of the day that needs to be spent for God, if it is causing you to stumble in your Christian faith, if it is causing a wedge to be brought between you and your brother or sister, get rid of it. Cut it out of your life. It is not worth it. Jesus said, if our eye offends us, we need to pluck it out. If our hand offends us, cut it off. And you say, that's just radical. Yeah, wake up. The Christian life is radical. You know what I take out of that? He says, 
that if there is something that is getting between you and the Lord Jesus Christ, take radical action. Remove it. In other words, by violent force. <laughs> this is a battle. This is a spiritual battle. This isn't going to happen easily. It may be painful. It may hurt. But like my mama used to say, when you get to heaven, you'll get your hand back. <laughs> okay? You'll get your eye back. Okay? So we never went to that extreme and took it out. But you get the point. In other words, deal with it today. You'll be rewarded then. Can I just make a practical illustration here? There are many people today who justify having a smartphone or some other electronic device uh, because it's convenient. I have one too. I agree. Very convenient. And yet, they're sinning with it multiple times a year. And it bothers them a little bit. Yeah, it pricks their conscience a little bit. But not enough to get rid of it. And they can't figure out why they keep struggling in, in other areas of life, too. And they just think, well, I mean, if I could just be a little stronger, I just need to be a little stronger. I just need to try to control it more. They think that that would do it. But they would never think of getting rid of it. Because, I mean, it's my phone. Are you serious? I mean, it's my phone. I got to have it. I mean, life revolves around it. I mean, what would I do without my phone? I mean, I'll probably die. You know, never think of getting rid of it. I mean, that's just like off the page. I just ask, I just want to ask you, how many times would you have to sin with your phone or electronic device to finally say, you know what, enough is enough, done? How many times? Two, five, ten? I mean, does it even matter to you? Is it okay? I mean, is that just, have you just understood that, that occasional sinning with your electronic device is just part of it? Like, like God probably understands. I mean, we're doing the best we can. I mean, is that like cool with you? And then yet we go to church on Sundays and we sit down in Sunday school class and we, we talk about, you know, the being a disciple of Jesus Christ and, and self-denial and everything and Man, young people, talk about the curse of convenience. And yet we just kind of go on in the name of modern convenience and necessity. Got to have it, got to have it. God help me. You know, I mean, you want to experience consistent victory in your life? It's possible. It is possible. But the flesh has to go. The flesh has to go. I don't mean just tucked away. In your back pocket. It has to be put to death. But dear people. When you are willing to do that. You will experience unmeasurable peace. Unmeasurable joy. You will experience a power that you never had before. And I speak from experience. I speak from experience. My phone used to get me between me and God. We had our issues. I sinned with it. I've had my problems with those type of things. And you know what? When I came to the point some years ago of saying, you know what? This is absolutely insane. I'm done with this. And I completely got rid of it. You know what I found out? And I was astounded. 
that when I finally came to that point of crucifying that part of my flesh, it brought wholeness to different parts of my life that I, I, I never even dreamed possible. Like there was other areas in my life that weren't quite in place, relationships or this or that or the other thing. And like it fixed more than just the problem I thought was the problem. It brought wholeness. It's like all of a sudden God said, oh, you're serious. Bless your heart. Here you go. It's worth it. I say, what will you give in exchange for your soul? And there's too many young people today that are giving something as stupid as a smartphone in exchange for their soul. And our church is suffering greatly for it. Let's talk yet about service for a bit. Service. I say, show me a person who is vibrant in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I will show you a person who is actively serving in the life of their church and community. The two are inseparable. Having a love for Jesus Christ, having a daily walk with Him, and active, willing service in the life of the church and in your community. You see, selfless service is an outflowing of an authentic, personal relationship with God, an authentic salvation experience. And what do I mean by authentic? I mean, you are changed. It's real. You're a different person. You think different. You look different. You act different. You have a different heart. You have a different hunger. You have different habits. Everything about you is different. It's authentic. You're no longer at odds with Jesus Christ. There used to be this conflict. There used to be this bucking. Now you're in fellowship with him. When we have truly seen God, when we have experienced that cleansing work of salvation in our life, it transforms our life mission, our life purpose. And not only does it make us fit to serve Christ, but it compels us to willing active service. Think of Isaiah. When Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he saw that amazing uh, display of majesty and glory, what was his response? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips. Because mine eyes have seen your salvation. I've seen the, the Lord. You see, when he truly saw God, then he could clearly see who he was and what was his response and all of that. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Use me. Think of Saul on the road to Damascus. When he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you persecute. What will you have me to do? What will you have me to do? And later, Paul writes, Because we know what it is to fear the Lord, we also try to persuade others. Why? Because the love of Christ compels us. 
It starts with an experience, a personal experience. It starts with seeing Christ. Because we know what it is to fear the Lord, we also then want to persuade others. Why? Because the love of Christ compels us to serve. I say willing, active service in the life of the church and community is the, is the, the only proper response of authentic salvation. In fact, the only right response is Romans 12, verse 1. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Him. This is your spiritual act of worship. During the early days of the Civil War, there was a Union soldier that was arrested on charges of desertion. And being unable to prove his innocence, he was condemned and sentenced to die a deserter's death. Most likely that meant by hanging. Well, he made an appeal, and his appeal found its way to the desk of President Abraham Lincoln. And the president had mercy on him and signed a pardon. As the story goes, the soldier returned back to service. He fought the entirety of the war, and he was killed in the very last battle. And they found in his chest pocket that paper of pardon from the president. You see, those words of pardon were precious words to him. He held them close to his heart. He found courage. He found confidence in those words of pardon. In fact, those words of mercy compelled him to serve until he died. And I just ask you this afternoon, what about the words of pardon that you have received through Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ has died on the cross to save you from your sins. He has given you Everything you could possibly ask for in ways of peace and joy and relationship with the Father. What does your pardon mean to you? Of what value is it to you? Show me a person who is loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ and I'll show you a person who knows what surrender and sacrifice and self-denial and service is all about. They are the marks of loyalty. I say, are these marks evident in your life? You know, times like this are times when we drive stakes in our lives. And stake driving is so, is so important. It's so important. What I mean by driving a stake is that, is that the Lord has brought something to your mind, either through 
reading the word or hearing the word taught or preached or through the admonition of someone or through a friendship. The Lord has brought something to you that has that has spoken to you to the point of convicting you of a need in your life, an area that you need to grow in, an area that needs to be confessed and something that you need to make right. You're not comfortable with where you are. There's a need for change. The Lord has brought that to you. And you acknowledge that. And driving a stake is then, in a sense, making some kind of public recognition of, Lord, I hear you, and I want to follow through with what your spirit is telling me. And so we say, I'm going to drive a stake. Not only for myself, but for others to see as well. And it's not about others, but that public confession or that public acknowledgement is huge in our lives. The scripture says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There is power in public confession, in public acknowledgement of shortcoming. There is power in that. And so, I would like for us to sing the song, Oh, for a closer walk with God. And as we sing that song, if the Lord has been speaking to you, if he has brought something to your mind that you need to change, that is not right, that is standing between the two of you, then I just simply ask you to rise to your feet and then you can sit back down. You're just saying, Lord, I'm driving a stake today. I hear your voice. I'm listening. I acknowledge that. And I want to move on in a way that pleases you. Dear people, peace has been found this afternoon in the lives of many. And I just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. May God bless you richly. He will. He will bless you richly for that. And let us live lives that are open to his prompting, to his nudging. It is in that that you will find greatest joy and greatest peace and greatest power. Let's stand and be excused. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you so much for speaking to all of us this afternoon through your word. Oh, Father, we confess that we stand in need of you. Lord, we stand in need of a fresh anointing from the Holy Spirit. Father, help us to rise up and be young people that are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, that are loyal to the captain, living lives that are wholly devoted to you, lives of surrender, lives of sacrifice, lives of self-denial, lives of willing, joyful service to the church, to our communities. Lord, I pray that flowing out of our relationship with you would be a sincere love for one another. And Lord, I pray in the difficulties in our congregations, in our conference, in our relationships, may we be the beginning of the answers to this. May we as young people shine our lights, being soldiers that care about the wounded, that reach out a helping hand. Oh Lord Jesus, I pray that you would revive us again. Do your work within us. Lord, you know the struggles, you know the difficulties, you know the sins within the hearts of these young people, you know what is causing them to stumble and what is at times severing their relationship with you, Lord, 
I pray that you would give them a continual sense of, of, of strength and courage and determination to do battle, to do battle and to claim victory. And Lord, we know that it all comes from you. So Father, we thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for this time when you have spoken. And may your kingdom come, may your will be done in our lives as it is done in heaven. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you. You are dismissed.